am Mike Senior, and I am here with prima ballerina John Witten for the 41st episode <laughs> oh of Project Studio Team Break. Oh, did you have to open with that? I, I'd survived without that coming into my mind since our last recording, somehow. Less impressive if we point out that we are just a week between recordings here, but still it was a glorious week. Excellent. So I assume you've earned your tea break during that week. Yeah, no, last week has been pure tea break. I took a week off and it was pretty darn good, actually, thank you. Spent time at the climbing wall. Oh, wow. Lay in bed playing things on guitar, which are never going to be of any monetary value to anyone, let alone me. I didn't know you were a climber. I'm very bad at it. I'm all of the wrong shapes. Um, (laughs) You see these kind of brilliant climbers and they are kind of lithe and long. I am thick and stubby. Ah, right. Which is good for sturdiness, I think. Yeah. I think just from a purely like architectural point of view, I'm quite difficult to knock over. (laughs) But no, rubbish, rubbish for climbing, but I do really like it. You're better being climbed than climbing. You know what? Yes. I would serve better as the wall than the climber. (laughs) Nothing makes my whole body hurt quite like climbing. The thing is, I don't particularly like the idea of climbing large cliffs and things, Mm. but I like the physical puzzle of climbing. So I like (laughs) bouldering more than climbing. Yeah, well, this is definitely a bouldering spot. Oh god, next time you're in Berlin, we we are right next door to a really lovely wall. Fabulous. Um, What's good there in Munich? I mean, we have a little climbing centre right next to us, Mm. uh, and the kids kind of got into it, and I was thinking I might kind of get into it, but my bouldering kind of experience actually comes from the Isle of Skye. Oh, wow. Of just launching myself at various rocks there. The the OG bouldering. Yeah. That sounds quite cool. I mean, it's one of my favourite places on earth, and yeah, I haven't been there in Literally decades. But at some point, you know, it's one of those bucket list things to go back and fling myself some boulders again. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm like an indoor cat. I've only ever been an indoor boulderer. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I grew up... I'm kind of the opposite. I grew up... So when we meet, we have to kind of raise our hackles and hiss at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, I grew up, as you know, in the Fens. Mm. In my town, we have something called Castle Mount or Castle Mountain. It soars out of the surrounding <laughs> uh, landscape up to 30 metres above sea level. A whole 30 metres. So bouldering opportunities, yep. you know, you could really... You you could get up a step ladder and see about 15 miles. You could put your camera sideways and climb up the floor. <laughs> Certainly. That's about it. How did we get on to... Oh, yeah, that's how I've been spending my week. So my week has been pure tea break. Fabulous. How about you? Have you have Well, there's, you there's hardly been time to earn a tea break between now and our previous <laughs> recording session because we're recording this quite early. But I did have time. To realise that, of course, there will be some follow-up to last month's sponsor. Oh, of course. Because it occurred to me that, you know, I joked about a pencil mic that would also double as a pencil. Mm -hmm. But, of course, this actually exists. No, really? (laughs) I will send you a link and then you will go, oh, yes. Of course it does. <gasps> Wait, I think I even had one of these. Are you talking about spy pens? <laughs> you are! Not just spy pens, the spy pencil. <laughs> the DVR Pen 3 from the detective store. That is confusing, because pencils are by their very nature disposable. And they look analogue. It looks like they couldn't possibly be digital as well. With a pen, you're a bit more suspicious, but a pencil somehow. Okay, because I looked at the um, product photo and I thought, wow, you know what? That looks exactly like a normal pencil. That is mm. genuinely really impressive and quite scary. But are you are you on this page as well? I think I know what you're about to refer to, yes. Could you go ahead and read to me the small orange flag <laughs> just subtly put in the corner of the product image? Symbolic image. 
<laughs> so what the, what the heck is a symbolic image in this context? Do you get the impression that it's some horrible kind of plastic thing that has an obvious rim where it's been moulded well, around the edge of it? If, if they're not willing to show it to us, I'm going to assume it's got a huge golf ball on the end. Yeah. A plastic moulded golf ball, like poked in holes all over the top. Oh, yeah. They, you can't do that. It's kind of the difference between a real hamburger and the one that's shown on the advert? Exactly. It says it can connect via USB, not mini-USB, so that means it's at least as wide as a USB. Uh, or Bluetooth. Or Bluetooth. How ridiculous does this pencil look? How much does it actually cost? Well, I couldn't even find. They wouldn't even give you a price. This is a very subtle store. It says, ask for price. No. Come on, this isn't a Steinway Grand. I never got beyond asking for it. I asked for it and thought, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I just went on their specification to see whether they said mm. anything at all about the dimensions or weight of the pencil because that's what I'm really curious about. Oh, that would be a giveaway, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely do they not. Notable by its absence. <laughs> it records in WAV files. It uses a 24-bit, 41 kilohertz compression algorithm. They've gone into depth here. The power supply. is 5 volts <laughs> DC with a 40 milliamp hour battery. Windows and Android supported. Mm. But really nothing to say about the actual... Suspicious, isn't it? Yeah. And basically it's a serving suggestion, isn't it? It is. And and it just makes me so, so curious. If next time I visit you see a, a strange pencil lying about <laughs> after I've left. Yes, if, if as you leave I say, oh, Mike, you forgot your pencil. And you said, oh, that's fine, just leave it there. I don't mind. <laughs> then, then I will be slightly suspicious. Especially if it's as thick around as a banana and yeah. has a wire coming out. There's a socket in it for USB. There's <laughs> big square USB sockets. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> like you get on the back of your audio interface. If it is, what I would like is it's an SM58 <laughs> and it's been painted someone's, yellow. Someone's painted it like with a wood effect on the body and then the top is like, it's, there's a little pink bit to make it look like an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, wouldn't that actually just be great to do it anyway? Yeah. And say, yeah, I'm just going to put a pencil mic on it and it's a 58. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's painted like a pencil. Yes, that would be amazing I mean oh half an hour Photoshop. I mean our question literally last episode was what can a studio engineer do which immediately makes you lose faith in them this would be <laughs> I don't know how I would react to this it's trickier than just losing faith because they've clearly put some time and effort into this <laughs> symbolic image oh actually wouldn't that be hysterical if you just had like a pencil like in that, that the archetypal wooden pencil with an eraser on the end mm. and you said to someone oh I'm just going to put a pencil mic on it and you bring a mic stand up with this pencil <laughs> <laughs> clips in it and it is actually the spy recording pencil <laughs> I mean that would be so much better it's, it's like a multi-layered gag <laughs> um, reality I mean it's almost inception isn't it I know I know when I go into the studio what I'm really looking for from the people there is multi-layered <laughs> difficult humour before I can play music how did you find this Mike how did this it just happen? occurred to me it had to exist <laughs> And according to the detective store, it technically almost sort of does. <laughs> it's very interesting. This detective store, as you say, it's got a London number. It's a .com website. And when I click on ask for price, in your email, where it wants to ask my email, it's asked for my email in Polish. Mm. If 
everything else is in English, but just the email request. It could be one of those website scams where actually none of the products are real. Right. And they're just trying to get you to send them money. And at which point you realise that it's not a real site, but you can't get your money back. Ooh. And you don't want to admit that you were shopping for surveillance equipment. <gasps> oh, yes. It's like that old Roald Dahl story of the guy who goes to visit upper class relatives of people who've just died, kind of bigwigs and dignitaries, mm-hmm. saying, oh, yes, we have this outstanding bill for this pornography. <gasps> and Oh, my word. And of course they don't contest it. Yeah. And of course, the, the sting in the tail on the story is that eventually they turn up with someone who who was blind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they get stuffed. That's ele- I like that very, very much. Mm. But see, I've got a much more whimsical take, which is just... Mike, this site isn't for us. This is a site for detectives. Okay. For real detectives. They don't want to sell to the hoi polloi. No. They're not interested in our custom. And if you are, sweet summer child, if you have to ask how much it costs, if you can't detective your way into that information, then (laughs) your custom is neither wanted nor needed here. If you can't find out the price for yourself, then what kind of a detective are you? I think it's fair. (laughs) I I think we are just outing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. As rubbish detectives. Although, actually, no, I'll come back on that. Because I think we did a sterling job with Rebecca Angel. (laughs) (gasps) Rebecca Angel, who I have a quiet, desperate hope might be coming back this episode in our jam. Or at least you'll be coming up in my conversation of it. Well, clearly we need to get further into the episode then. Gosh, okay, well, how do we get out of this bit? Do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) I think we just, uh, like, pressed, I think... Do we? Hit spacebar! Spacebar! Now, John. Hey, Mike. Before we started recording, I sent you an audio file. Oh, oh, I thought this was going to be in jam. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Admittedly, I did capriciously label it jam. <laughs> so that <laughs> might have misled you slightly. Gosh. Okay, I'm not sure if that makes me a good or a bad detective for having assumed that. But either way, here we are. Uh, what you sent me, I would describe as a mm. very serviceable uh, recording of the jazz standard Summertime. Now, I suppose for the benefit of the listeners, we should have a quick blast of that. Summertime in the Um, I have feelings about people making recordings of Summertime. Mm. It's a great song. I kind of wish whoever had done that had gone a little deeper into the into the jazz canon yeah. uh, to find it. But then again, I also appreciate that this is just where I'm coming from because I've heard it too many times. Um, and not all music is for people who've listened to a heck ton of music. 
And you know, it's nice. The the guitar part is nice. The singing is very pleasant. And it's got a nice kind of lap steel part over the top. I hope, I wish, I am praying <laughs> that what you sent me is Rebecca Angel. Because, Mike, this is exactly what we asked her to do. Yes. It's not an overproduced crazy backing track. It's just yeah. a good singer singing a nice song to a sensitive backing. Like, just fine. This is just a good performer doing really good performance. Absolutely. With, like, a guitarist who can totally play guitar. I'm totally with you there. I wish this were Rebecca Angel. No! Mike, my heart. My poor heart. (laughs) But the thing is... What is it? The music's not the point here. Okay. Because all five instruments, vocals, bass, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, and, like, a brush snare, were all recorded with the same model of mic. I'm intrigued. Now, this mic is from a Chicago company called Zeppelin Design Labs. Okay. In fact, their their logo looks very similar to the airship design on Led Zeppelin's Mothership Greatest Hits album, which is (laughs) kind of quite fun. (laughs) Led Zeppelin cannot copyright a mode of transport. The the engineers (laughs) and artists and architects and scientists who worked on that cannot have their work entirely just owned by some heavy metal band. And this mic is called the Cortado Mark III. Oh, sounds weighty. But it's not your normal mic. Okay. It's actually a contact mic. <gasps> really? And all of these instruments were recorded using this contact mic. You know what my next questions are. What have they done there? They've attached the contact mic to the body of the bass, the body of the acoustic guitar, the back of the driver and the cabinet of an electric guitar, yeah. to the head of the snare drum when he's doing brush snare work, and then they recorded the vocalist by putting a tin can, like a can of tomatoes, on a microphone stand and attaching the contact mic to that. That's so cool. You're getting a mechanical filtering from the... The tin of tomato, which I do want to stress, doesn't have the tomatoes in at time of singing. That would be be messy. But you, you don't have to do it that way. There's a brilliant example where they set up something called the hula mic. And this is where you get a hula hoop. And then in the middle of it, like a plastic plate or something... Mm. And you suspend it with bungee cords from the hula hoop, so it's suspended in the area, and connected to the contact mic. That's the most large diaphragm microphone I've ever heard of. Okay, here's a short example of what it sounds like. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are grey. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Oh, Mike, having had a few recent months of, like, charlatans being awful. It's amazing, isn't it? I love that vintage noise! And in fact, the examples I've played you so far, the one with the hula mic and the whole band being recorded by it, is actually their Mark II. It's the DIY version. Oh. The Mark III is the fully built version. It's the -the off-the-shelf version. Oh, interesting. So they're kind of taking out the hassle, ideally. And the -the off-the-shelf version is even cooler. Yeah. Basically, what you have is you have the transducer in a kind of a metal can Mm -hmm. that's about three and a half centimetres across. It's round and about a centimetre and a half thick. Mm. Super robust. Mm -hmm. They demonstrate in one of their other videos Mm. running over it with the tyre of a car and it's still working. (gasps) It's that robust. Oh, my word. Okay, that's really cool. Its operating temperature range is minus 40 degrees C to 80 degrees centigrade. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, they're just showing off. And the transducer can be used underwater. (laughs) I want to try that as well. Then... 
It's active. It's run on phantom power. Okay. Which means that it has a much wider frequency bandwidth. The specs give the frequency bandwidth as 23 hertz to 40 kilohertz wow. at the minus 3 dB points. What? That's that's quite a claim. If you listen to some of the recordings, it is pretty impressive what the bandwidth is. Um, It's high output. There actually has to be a pad switch on the preamp for louder sounds so you don't overload your system. <laughs> wow, okay. And there's a kind of a combination bass boost and high pass filter like dip switch on it, depending on how the pad switch is set. And I mean, it, it, to some extent, it makes sense to have this because low frequencies often propagate better than high frequencies. Right. So it's easy for it to sound muffled in comparison to other like mic'd signals. Okay. So having that straight on the preamp can be useful for kind it. Kind of handy, yeah. And also, of course, you get mechanical thuds from some instruments. Mm-hmm. But of course, the, the point of it is that it's super, super versatile. You can literally fix it to almost anything. You know, instruments, furniture, create your own reverb plate. You can apply it to a window in the studio of course the reverb plate you could that's ah there's a fantastic example of the manufacturer chewing with the mic pressed to his head oh wow what what's that sound well here it is sounds pretty cool it does i mean it is a high fidelity contact mic as contact mics go but mm. every sound that comes out of this thing has a kind of a character to it. Yeah. It all sounds like it's off a John Henry record or Tom Waits would like it. Yes, exactly. And it's it, weird because it has something of that dry compactness that you associate with a just a DI signal. Mm. And yet it has more information in it somehow, more character, more fidelity. It's not the first place I would go for just kind of pure faithful recreation, but it's a really fun sound. Now, as the dedicated news hand that I am, I was digging a little bit into it to think about, well, what is this thing to like to use in practice? Mm. And if you look at some of the videos, they're clearly using more than one of these things. Yeah, a lot of the time. I mean, they tell you in the manual that you've got to be careful how you place it and that small position changes make a big difference when you're in contact with the instrument. Right. If you think about this as an extension of close miking, if you move a microphone really close to an acoustic guitar, you get a kind of a skewed perception of it. Yeah, sure. And so the answer to that in the studio is often that you'll have more than one mic because it helps fill out different characteristics of the sound. So I have a feeling that this is the kind of mic that is best used actually as a multi-mic to balance different elements of the instrument. Like different parts of the picture. Okay, yeah. And it seems to be borne out by a lot of their demos using using two. By actually how they've been doing it, yeah. Also, they talk about a rather an interesting thing, which is about mm-hmm. how the mic contacts with the instrument or whatever it is that it's recording. Mm. Because the way it contacts, it affects the transmission of vibrations to the contact mic. So if you have something that is a bit tizzy and trebly, you could put a soft cloth between it and the contact mic <laughs> and it'll sound warmer and duller. What are they using to adhere the contact mic to the things that they are contacting it to? They have their own special accessories kit. Ah, of course they do. If you're looking for a temporary placement, you can use, uh, I think, what they call sensor putty, but basically it's a kind of a glorified blue tack. Mm -hmm. Or you could use one of those little hand spring clamps little mini ones that you use for, for woodwork. Yeah. Particularly if you're just doing it on the edge of a table or sheet of metal or something. You could just clamp it directly to the sheet of metal. That works really well. You can also do that with an acoustic guitar. You can use the clamp to clamp it to your acoustic guitar, either the headstock or the body or wherever. Oh, really? I mean, obviously, if you're using putty, you're going to be careful with anything that's lacquered. <laughs> you don't <laughs> take the lacquer <laughs> off. 
Well, also, I just can't imagine that the putty wouldn't have quite an effect on the sound. I imagine it has a little bit, but, you know, anything you use will, will change the way it sounds. Which, again, when you're playing with a mic for its character rather than its pure fidelity, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, they, they said that for permanent connection, mm-hmm. that it was best to use, they have a little metal bracket that you can screw on, or you can use a strong sticky tape, like double-sided sticky tape. Ah, yeah, and of course the other one, which is perhaps obvious, they didn't feel the need to mention it, if you need it there for a minute, put a couple of bits of thick masking tape over the top and it'll stay in contact, which is all you kind of need. Yeah. That, that's so cool, Mike. Ah. But this brings us down to a fundamental question. There are so many. How much does it cost? And especially in the context of you needing probably more than one for a lot of things you might want to do with it. I, I certainly, I think if I were going to get this, I'd get more than one. Um, I mean, how are you going to call stereo without that? <laughs> <laughs> this is a very stereo contact. That's quite fun. Oh, there's so many ideas. I hope they're not that... Um, 70, 80, given that there's like a DIY element. That's not a bad guess. What are we clocking in at? The latest prices I've seen on their website give the self-build kit of the Mark II as $39. Well, damn. But you've got to do all the soldering yourself. Okay, but like that's the one that I was putting at 70, 80. Yeah. So that's if you build it yourself... And that, that's more than just, like, Legoing it together. There is soldering involved. Yeah. The off-the-shelf version hmm. is $159. Okay. That's not monstrous. There are a lot of mics for that kind of price. That's true. That are nowhere near as versatile as this. It's just not bad. Because, I mean, if you think that, like, an SM58 is about $100 a bit more, you're in that kind of region. And just the number of things that you can do with it. As a sound designer, it, it seems... If I haven't bought two of these by the end of this year, <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> super surprised. So there's certainly going to be follow-up here. Already, just the potential to me. Mm. You put a large, sturdy plank of wood on a couple of really strong kind of saw horses. The kind yeah. of thing where you could just jump off on top of it and that's no issue. Yeah. You pop one of these far left, you pop one of them far right. Yes. You pan them to the far left and right of the theatre space you're in. Yes. That's enough. <laughs> and then you just have two performers with like a bunch of toys. Maybe you get acrobats and have them walk over it on their hands or whatever. That's easy, an hour show. Yeah. With a total tech budget of about £300, <laughs> which is incredible. <laughs> oh, I want to I make that show now. They have all sorts of other stuff as well. Like they have a MIDI theremin controller called the Altura. A theremin? That you can use like a theremin and it squirts out MIDI with the controllers. That's cool. And they also have a tiny two watt tube amp with a matching one by eight cabinet. (laughs) That sounds so cool. Wait, I've got to find a video of that. It's beautiful. It's called the Percolator. Which again, I'm seeing that they offer as a kit already made. Both, again. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. And here it is in action. Such a deliciously bluesy sound. It's fabulous, isn't it? Look, the sound is great, but it doesn't hurt that the man playing it has a big beard <laughs> and a shirt covered in, like, double-neck electric guitars. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing about this as well is that 
often some of the biggest like guitar sounds have been recorded with super small amps. Mm. Like the guitar solo in Layla yeah. was recorded on a Fender Champ. Seriously? Yeah. I did not know. I and would... actually really small guitar amps often record really well because they're much better controlled. Huh. So again, I'm a bit tempted to buy one of those for recording purposes, even though I'm not a guitarist, just because probably I could plug someone into that when they've brought their dodgy old amp and get a better sound <laughs> for recording. Yeah, I mean, as you say, especially in a studio context where the absolute volume just isn't the main thing. Or two watts of power. Pure power. <laughs> like, it only comes to, like, £300. Yeah. I, I cheated that one because I'm, I'm on their website. It's my homepage now. <laughs> I'm coming over to play with this mm. the day that it arrives. I'm going to turn up the day before it gets to you, camp over, <laughs> like I'm waiting for a product launch. I did a, just a mini facepalm straight away there. Amazing. There I was, hoping to introduce the facepalm section in a kind of smooth and mm-hmm. <laughs> considered way, and I managed to facepalm directly <laughs> at the beginning before <laughs> I've even started. Oh, please do tell me more. Because I've got Reaper and my notes document running at the same time. Yeah. And I just switched back to my notes document and hit the keyboard command for record, and it just typed star into <laughs> my <laughs> notes document. Oh, gosh. And that just robs you of all momentum, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially once you're used to it, when you're in a system that you know well, hitting record is just kind of how you get started. Yeah. It's fluffing the first word of a big speech. It's just so hard to come back from. But it's somehow symptomatic of this month's facepalm because... (laughs) Do tell. It didn't even need to happen. There was already enough facepalmage without it. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited to hear more. Because this relates to last month's podcast. Oh, yeah? Of course, we facepalmed immediately by releasing it late. Well, well, there is that, and thank you, everyone, for your patience. But there was a further facepalm involved... (laughs) after we'd recorded it in my editing process. <laughs> and to explain this, I need to just pull back the curtain a bit. And okay, well, what do we got? Parts the kimono. Mm. You see, once I've finished editing the episode in Reaper, there's then a separate kind of little stage I go through to work out what the hell to title it and to do the little bit of blurb text that I do. I love our titles, which are 100% Mike. They're especially fun for me because I get to read through and try and remember each of the bits. It's, it's, a, it's a work of art and a work of service, which for some reason Mike does for John alone. It's a, it's a little Sudoku. I get to play a crossword for me every single month of being like, oh, yeah. Horses in Martian ice skating contest? <laughs> no, we did, didn't we? We totally did. Wow. So, yeah, once I've finished editing the episode, I go through this. And the way I do this is I just take the final episode file and pull it into a fresh Reaper project. And this kind of serves a little bit like a kind of a security check that I've not left a huge silence in it all. Mm-hmm. But when I do that, at that point, usually I'm up against the clock right. to try and hit deadline. And so I've got into the habit of doing this at one and a half times speed. Makes a lot of sense. And this month, though, I spotted, occasionally I spot an error. <laughs> when I looked at that press release from Presto Public Relations, I referred to them as Presto Publications. Okay. So I thought, oh, do I want to change it? Yeah, I suppose I probably should. And, you know, it's it's bad enough that we're not being kind to them about the thing without actually getting their name wrong. <laughs> also, discredit where discredit's due. They might <laughs> rather be misnamed. H- having heard the full <laughs> episode, they might be just fine with being ungoogleable. <laughs> but no, we are, we are journalists of the highest uh, integrity, so... So, I went back to my um, editing project to correct that and just 
kind of patched in a little overdub to replace that. Mm. But I wasn't sure, because it was quite a long thing, whether I'd done it again later on. Of course, yeah. So I thought, I won't bother bouncing out and redoing it. I'll just keep playing back through the, the editing project. What's so frightening about your face palms, Mike, <laughs> is that it's almost always you doing exactly what I would do on my best day, on my most on it and professional and thinking clearly date. This is what makes them so terrifying. So once I'd done that, I bounced out the newly edited version and I was just about to upload it. Just about to press the publishing button. <laughs> oh! And just out of the corner of my eye, I spotted something weird. That the file size for the upload was 55 megabytes. And it's normally about 80. Oh, that is such a spidey sense. So it's almost <laughs> as if it had been reduced by 150%, one could almost <laughs> it's say. It's almost as if I'd bounced it out at 1.5 times speed. <laughs> oh, is it bad that I'm a bit sad that didn't happen? Oh, in a way, like, I, yes. I know we I know we'd have lost some listeners if only because it would have totally played head games with that patron who was mailed in about playing all our episodes at 1.5 times speed oh my word yeah that would be this would be a challenge episode just for them so it almost went live but i just caught it at the last moment oh my and a hearty facepalm ensued i'm quite sure it certainly did <laughs> so i mean it's one of those nice facepalms in a way because it's like a happy ending of like oh thank heavens that didn't actually go as bad as i thought it would yeah there we go i think near misses are absolutely permitted but like you say it's slightly appalling because i have like this workflow mm -hmm. that tries to avoid problems like that and for something to get that far along the workflow <laughs> <laughs> sneak, almost sneak through the net gives me a bit the jitters now. <laughs> Can I tell you something that I learned from... So my older brother is ex-military. Right. And there, when you need to do a task where you, you really oughtn't to mess up any of the steps, it's <laughs> yeah. quite important. Where, you know, which come up, as you might expect, you use a checklist. Yes. And this has been completely life-changing for me. Uh, yesterday... It wasn't life or death, but I had to send out about 40 personal emails to people who attended a casting. Yeah. And there was kind of three different base emails that might be sent, but depending on the notes I'd taken on them, there'd be some little variations. And just the potential for sending someone who I really wanted to work with and was trying to make a good impression on, something addressed with the wrong name. Yes. Or with a note that referred to a different audition or with an incorrect date in there was just so high. And so when I've got that to do, the only way <laughs> I can get through that without melting into a puddle of stress is writing out a checklist for myself. A checklist that assumes my brain is running at 4% capacity. Yes. And has things like, you know, I, I don't put the emails into the send thing until I'm finished the thing. So at the end, it's like, put in email. First thing is, replace the XXXX from the copy with the name <laughs> of the person. And I will go down and I will tick these off one at a time. Yeah. Because that's how I can... I mean, I still have a completely written checklist whenever I do live streams for that reason. Right. Or And, the, and of course, the, the place I, I'm uber checklisted, we'll come to you a bit later, actually, is when I'm doing recording dates. Mm. I always have like a four-page printed list of everything but everything I'm taking with me. Oh, that's such a good idea. And actually, when I worked for SOS, I had a proofing checklist. I still have it, actually. Mm. But that was always like, check the crossheads, check the captions, check the so-and-so. Yeah. And always right at the end, it was like, check the big text again. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about checking the big text... In the demonstration video for the 2-watt amp, yeah. they had about six different demonstrations with that guitarist. Mm. And in all of them, on the title page, it was so-and-so demonstrates. 
<laughs> and every time they changed the title card to show that he was demonstrating with a different thing, and every time oh, they missed word. the fact that it said demonstrate. Check the big text again. You're so, so right. As an object lesson in how much I need these things in my life, the other day, as I mentioned, I was heading out to climb, mm. left the house, realised that I'd forgot my climbing shoes. Mm. One of the two things I needed to bring. <laughs> Went back, yes. picked up my climbing shoes, left my keys and locked myself out the flat. Oh, And that yes. was my afternoon. So <laughs> checklists are, are a necessary part of, of life and living. And I you're think. right, they're like a de-stressing thing. It's like if you've got the checklist, mm-hmm. then you just work through the checklist and then you can say it's done. Yeah. You haven't missed anything. And if you have missed something, it's something that... You won't miss next time because you'll put it on the checklist kind of thing. It's what I enjoy, and this is a very unhippy thing to say, Mm. but it's what I enjoy about working in really strictly hierarchical situations where there is someone whose job it is to tell us what time breaks are. That there is a person in in any workplace who is Mr. or Mrs. Clipboard. (laughs) Yes! It is the clipboard that is the thing. And what that means is that I don't need to check my phone to see when the break is. No. And that means unbroken kind of concentration on the instrument. It means that if, I don't know, a bit of costume isn't fitting very well, I just mention it once to the costume master, the costume mistress, and then I forget about it. Yep. It doesn't take up any more space in my head. Yeah. It also means that when it comes to the acting or the music or whatever, that's 100% on me. Yeah. <laughs> and You can't blame it on, oh, I was distracted because I had to deal with the costume. There you go. There you go. <laughs> when that is your one job, you'd better do it all right every time. Yeah. Um, but that is so much easier because I've got absolutely no concern about this instrument missing a string because I've told that to the band leader. Now it's not my business anymore. The joy of teams. The joy of teams. The joy of community. The reason I'm a communist. It's, um, (laughs) yeah. As pilgrims to a shrine, you have come to us once again to receive the undeniable benefits of our wisdom. So who is this month's supplicant? <laughs> this month's humble suppli- supplicant. Yep. <laughs> humble supplicant crawling towards us on humbled knees. Sorry, Paul. Uh, is Paul, <laughs> who, says, who says this. Dear Breakers, uh, it's obvious to all your listeners that without your continued contributions, music, art, and human civilization itself would quickly collapse. Well, well obviously. That's the reason. What is less obvious is what you would do if music, and let's say more broadly art, weren't an option. What discipline would you enrich instead? Wow. You know, quite a lot of just statements of obvious fact in there, but there is a question there as well. Well, the thing about this is actually, you could look on it as a hypothetical question, but... Any professional relies on their ears to some extent has to entertain the possibility that at some point something might happen to their hearing. Yeah. It's a pretty much a one-way ticket to unemployment in the field that we've pursued. <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, I guess more broadly, that's true for anyone who kind of really relies on a single organ for their employment. Then I realised how dirty that sounded. Um, <laughs> so I just thought, better, better to stick with Mike's example there. No, it, it's, it's absolutely true. Not only complete hearing loss, but, but any serious damage to our hearing could, well, would seriously limit what we could do in this 
sphere, in this arena? Well, I mean, the, the easiest one from my perspective in some respects would be to go into writing. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, as much as I like to fancy myself as a 100% audio engineer, mm. I do a lot of writing too. Mm. <laughs> and so if you took the audio engineering away, those same kind of writing skills I could probably use in another field. I think absolutely. I think that would be the transition. Do you, do you have any idea what field that might be? Is this going to be a cooking blog? <laughs> Is this going to be you're going to buy some more kittens and just... Who knows? Write the blog from their perspective and make it quite political. That could be fun. I suppose the easiest thing to do would be to follow the kind of review style stuff and move into stuff that is slightly investigative, mm. like customer-based stuff like which do. Consumer advocacy. Yeah, that's the one. So I can imagine doing that kind of stuff. What about you? Well, I've always thought that if I couldn't be an artist, I'd just be a painter. <laughs> which I feel like I should be attributing. Probably someone clever said that once. Um... No, I wouldn't because I, I can't. I can't draw a tree without it looking like a lollipop, or a lollipop without it looking like a tree. <laughs> really, have have no talent at all putting shapes to paper. I don't know. Is the short answer. I've always had a deep and enduring love for mathematics and higher mathematics. Interesting. Which is a hobby, but just realistically, I know enough people who have that love and have studied it their entire lives. And still struggle to make it into a career. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say that they maybe should have got into something more obviously profitable like mm. folk guitaring. <laughs> but this is where their passion lay and, and they, they chased it. I think that's admirable in its own way. You know, maths teacher could work, but it wouldn't be huge for me. I would absolutely love to get into a kind of documentary filmmakery place. Okay, right. Because as far as I can tell, your whole job is just going interesting places and meeting interesting people. That's not a perk. That's that's what you'd have to do to do it. That's it. Mm. That is the job. And then, you know, like putting it together and communicating it. But, you know, I really feel like one documentary film is better or worse than another based on whether it reaches more or less interesting people and places. And you seem to have no difficulty putting yourself into interesting and um, <laughs> anecdote-worthy situations. Well, may yeah, maybe my only <laughs> subject would just be myself. Maybe I would be the first documentary filmmaker <laughs> to exclusively, um, exclusively comment on themselves. I mean, I think one of the things that I notice about myself from doing recording sessions is about kind of a problem-solving thing. And I'm one of those people who is happy to read the manual about something and find out everything about it mm. and work out from the technical structure of understanding it how you can practically and creatively apply it. So I could... The other area I could imagine having gone into would be something like programming or something like a network engineer where you're the kind of person who mm -mm. goes into those boxes that have 1,500 little widdly coloured cables in and go, ah, yes, this one's been cross-patched and <laughs> have the little gizmo, a handheld gizmo that has lots of lights and buzzes and whistles on it that you look at and you go, crumbs, I didn't even know those connectors existed. And like, know which connector goes where and what the protocol is. And Gosh, I don't know. I love the idea of having the power you're describing, mm. but to even consider getting there, like, Building that sounds horrifying to me. <laughs> I mean, like, just remarkably difficult, impossibly hard. But it's not that much more horrifying than building up an arrangement in Reaper of lots of virtual instruments and all the knowledge that that requires. Or going into a big recording session and troubleshooting where all the signals are going with all the mics and DIs and different instruments and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff like that that I think... That's kind of transferable. That's true. I think what I would miss out of a musical context, like in E.T., 
the only way to get the unmotivated slob of an alien up the stairs yeah. was a Reese's piece every single step <laughs> of the way. And similarly, huge arrangement tasks yeah. are palatable for me only because I get a bit of nice sound. I get a pretty tune mm. every step of the way. And, you know, I'm twiddling the knobs to make the sound a bit prettier. But, I mean, you do also get a kind of a bit of a feedback when you solve a problem. Yeah. It's like I can do puzzles. Yeah. Just for the enjoyment of seeing the thing solved. And it's actually the same with programming. This is why I say it with programming, because um, when I was uh, doing my MSc, mm-hmm. I programmed a DSP chip. Oh, cool. Pretty much in assembly language. One step off ones and zeros. Oh, damn. Right down to the bottom. And it's something that I had not anticipated wanting or needing to do, but ended up just doing it. No. And it didn't feel like an unnatural process to do that. The whole, whole idea of programming doesn't feel unnatural to me algebra and subroutines and the idea of structuring programs and stuff doesn't intimidate me in that way. So I can easily imagine if all of a sudden I couldn't hear tomorrow, I'd go, okay, I'm going to learn C++ or whatever it is. No, and to be honest, I am also a hobby programmer and I feel exactly the same way. I think part of the joy of problem solving and programming is that there's always 50,000 answers to the question you're asking. Mm. 50,000 ways of getting to the task that you want to do. And depending on whether you're looking for something you can write quickly, something you'll run quickly, you kind of prioritise different things, but there's this creativity in the making. Yeah. The fact that there can be elegant solutions and really hacky solutions. And to an end user, they might do exactly the same thing. They just print, hello, my name is John, across the screen 100 times. 100,000 times, my, my finest work. <laughs> and honestly, that feels like music, of like the process of composition and arrangement to me. Kind of, yes. what are we trying to get to here? There's a hacky way which... Maybe it'll work the first time, but not if anyone has to listen to this song more than once. Mm. And and the, the kind of slightly <laughs> shameful might not be the word, but the, the the realization that a lot of the time I'm doing stuff for me. Oh, totally. Like, is is anyone else gonna notice the fact that even though the tempo changes here, something remains at exactly the same rate because I changed the tempo by two thirds, and so what were triplets just became quavers, and that kind of glues the thing. No, no one else cares, but I do. No, no. I think I might have told this story in the podcast before, but I think it's thirty episodes ago. <laughs> so if you remember this, then thank you for your close attention. Mm. In an evening, I spent drinking whiskey with one of the finest viola players I know—a fierce Polish viola player called Piotr. I asked him this question. I said, you know, what would you be if you couldn't be a musician? Mm. And he went very quiet. And he said, if I didn't play this instrument, I would not be me. Wow. The question makes no sense. And we drank more whiskey. And that's always been the coolest answer. To me. <laughs> it's not true for me, even yeah. in the slightest. Yeah. But it's the answer you wish you'd come up with. Look, if anyone asks you that and you just want to look cool. It's like the best answer I ever heard to the interview question, what's your greatest weakness, Mm. was to pull out an envelope and hand it to the interviewer. What? And they'd open it, and inside would be a bit of paper on which you'd written, I have a tendency to (gasps) over-prepare. Oh my God! (laughs) Which brings us in our inimitable style to the monthly toast foley. Um, I'm really excited about this one because it is... Honest, accurate, sounds amazing, and infinitely reusable. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you reusable toast. 
I'm hearing nothing. <laughs> oh no! Um, wait, no, that's the wrong microphone. If I tap this mic, is that? Don't think so. I'm not getting much from it. <laughs> I'm really confused, Mike. You're not hearing it at all. Nothing. <laughs> well, this is surely the earliest hurdle any of my submissions have ever fallen at. <laughs> A remarkable thing in itself. And I have looked. Mine have not all been champions, and I, I boast so much as to say that I've had some pretty spectacular failures, but never before have I crested the hill that is actual inaudibility. Yeah. Also, it's less reusable than I hoped it might be. This month's Toast Foley is a loofah, which I kind of chew on. <laughs> right? I mean, this is also visual foley. Now, why would I say that this is less reusable than I thought? Well, I've got quite a lot of loofah in my mouth now. That's weird. Just like little bits. <laughs> Nothing too substantial, but a fair amount of loofah has just sort of found its way in between my teeth and all of my tongue and stuff. So, you know, it's not perfect. You can't hear it. And um, It's fair to say that your foley has an aftertaste. Yes, my foley has an aftertaste, <laughs> which is not a sentence that should ever be true. Maybe, though, maybe what I've inadvertently discovered is these anti-foley, these things like paper bags made out of cloth or super deadened symbols uh, so they can be used on film sets without making any noise. Is that, is that true? Yeah. That there are paper bags made of cloth that they use on film sets? Yes, so you don't get the rustle getting in the way of the um, recorded vocals. Oh, that's mental. That's a great idea. And it's everything, Mike. I didn't realise. It's things like... um. Pool balls yeah. in scenes in pool bars are all painted soft bouncy balls <gasps> so that they don't clack off each other. Oh, the scales are falling from my eyes. <laughs> Quietly. Anything, anything that might make noise. Shopping trolleys. Wow. If you ever come across a shopping trolley, that is a precision bit of engineering. Wow. In order to not just be super loud. Of course it would be. Sorry, that's what I've done. I've created the toasted pitter mm. that really doesn't make any noise when you appear to bite it into it it's a loofah you're welcome hollywood what kind of jam do you have for this slightly uninspiring slice given the pandemic mm. it has now been a long time since i've recorded anything really in earnest okay i mean i've recorded my own voice for podcasts the odd bit of vocal here and there but i haven't done any sessions at all mm. and now as things are starting to open up again i'm starting to get inquiries for sessions again Ooh, that's very cool but I can't say that there isn't a little bit of trepidation here because How so? it's been so long since I've done it. Oh, right. It's just been a little bit of time away. Can I remember how to do it? It's like, um, have you ever skied? Um, I have. I have, yes. Years ago. But, you know, you don't ever go... I mean, certainly as a Brit, you don't ever go skiing often enough. No, to kind of really get it under your skin. To feel that you're confident with it. And so whenever you go skiing on those very few occasions you do... There's always that first day of thinking, do I remember how the hell this works? <laughs> do I remember how any of this works? I know I used to be quite good at it. Yes, yes, yes. After the previous week I spent doing it. <laughs> but am I actually going to be able to do this at all? And then there's that after that first morning, you kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do this. Yes. But I'm in that pre-stage at the moment of thinking, I mean, it seems so complicated, the whole recording process. <laughs> Did I do that one? It once? is. Gosh, there's so many wires. So what do you do first again? Because <laughs> when you rely on instinct so much, the moment you try and think it through in a conscious way, yeah. you can't remember how it all fits together. It's like, and I'm so, I apologise to everyone for this, really thinking about what your tongue is doing while you're eating. <laughs> 
instinct is fine, but when you really think about it, not only will you get 90% worse at eating, but you'll be severely grossed out. This, the example I always think of is that there was a story I once heard of an old guy with a long beard, mm. and a little girl came up to him and said, at night when you go to sleep, do you have your beard over the cover or under the cover? <laughs> and that eventually he had to cut it off because he couldn't decide and it was keeping oh. him awake. <laughs> What a brilliantly phrased piece. And so I have that sense of trepidation at the moment. Yeah. Having that confidence that I've done it before and I somehow feel sure I can do it. And yet at the same time, it feeling like an undiscovered country again. Oh my, it sounds like first day back at school. Yes. That's the flavour. Yeah. But this is not the facepalm section. <laughs> this is the jam section. Yes, it is. And so on the plus side... It means that I have the cast iron excuse and opportunity to do one of my very favourite things. What's that? Which is a full scale, like, pre-session planning and gear checking and preparation process. (laughs) This is your jam? This is my jam. Logistics the game. It's grown on me in recent years. and Actually, the first time it grew on me was after recording sessions that I realised how much I liked that time that's often several hours after the session's finished. Mm. And I really like it when I have the opportunity Mm -hmm. just to slowly and calmly go around and collect up all the the mics and the cables and the stands and check everything is mm. like packed away properly and that I've got everything. I've checked through my checklist and everything's packed away and slowly packed the car. And and that can be several hours Mm. of just menial tasks like that, of just packing stuff up and putting things away and saving stuff and documenting stuff. And... It's such a zen thing. Hmm. It's a kind of a post-mortem after the whole stress of the session and you're replaying stuff hmm. that's happened. And it's, That sounds gorgeous. And this is such a zen process for me that I actually feel a bit cheated now if I have to do a recording session and hurry the clear up. <laughs> it's like, oh, I like that bit. Oh, that's lovely. But it's also increasingly starting to be on like a front-loaded thing. Before I do any session, there's a lot of preparation involved just in planning how I'm going to do it. Because no session is ever alike for me yeah. because they're all location sessions usually. The whole setup is always completely bespoke for that situation. Always something different. But because I know I'm... I, the, probably the first session I'm going to do is going to be a fairly large scale on location session. And I haven't used any of my gear in about two years. <laughs> Basically, it means that I'm going to have to check. I've just got all the stuff that some of it hasn't migrated to people I've lent stuff to. Right. Go through old checklists, check everything's like packed away in its boxes correctly. I, I, I managed to get some little steel boxes on special offer <gasps> down at Aldi. Awesome. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I could use those to put all my shock bounce in. And, oh, and- <laughs> no, I'm getting excited about that too. I can, I can see this. And then plugging the cables in and just checking that all the cables work Mm. so that I can have that knowledge that when I grab a cable it's not going to cause me a problem no it's just going to work straight out the box yeah and check that I've got masking tape and gaffer and batteries and the consumable stuff this sounds like Christmas Eve. It is. Mike, this sounds gorgeous. And the thing about it is that I know this is going to take me a couple of days Mm. from a sanding start and I'll end up in a couple of days time with all the stuff I'm taking on the session piled up in its boxes in the living room yeah ready to be carted out into the car and that'll just be two days of like (laughs) zen 
Calmness. Pure Zen concentration. It's kind of concentration, and yet it's so humdrum in, in a way. Mm. And that I can just stick some music on or listen to a podcast or something, and I know what I have to do at every single stage, and there's lots of it to do. And with every little step, I feel more confident that the session's going to go well. Oh, you're building your own confidence. Two whole days of getting rid of worries. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many situations where you can do that. Where you can actually take that much time usefully preparing. Where you can itemise your worries and just tick them off and get rid of them. Yeah, that sounds lovely. <laughs> I told you it was my jam. See, I don't have that because I don't do location recording. But mm. the closest I have to is when I'm lucky enough to work a job where all the music gets sent out in advance. Mm. It's getting myself a nice binder. Yeah. Or more often two, one for pre-interval, one for post-interval. Yeah. And I will write on, I haven't done this since, you know, school, but I will write on the front of each, you know, this show, act one, this show, act two. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, this folder belongs to John Whitten. <laughs> With the J the wrong way round. <laughs> Mrs. Smithers class. <laughs> then I will get out my most anxiety-calming possessions in the entire world, which is about... Ten different coloured highlighters. Oh, oh, I read your mind. I was about <laughs> to really? cut in there and interrupt you and say, oh, those must be highlighter pens. Almost just as a joke. No, <laughs> it is. Not a joke. We just had some kind of a Zen convergence there. Definitely highlighters. <laughs> and I will start marking in my instrument changes. Oh, yeah. When they're in there. If it's something I'm conducting, then I will start arranging my band pit in the living room. I don't know if you've ever needed to do this. But, you know, <laughs> this lamp is the cellist. Oh, wow. This pile of books is the percussionist. And I'll just work my way through stuff, making sure I know what everyone's doing at every different point. I mean, that is what video was invented for. <laughs> I would love to see you directing a lampshade. <laughs> oh, yeah. Many happy evenings. <laughs> and just really trying to pull a little bit more emotion from it uh, as best I can. It's probably the funnest way to do it because a lot of the time I'll have been sent demos or something of the music. Yeah. So while I'm still getting to know it, I will play that music in the background mm. and conduct and kind of do the ins and outs. And that, I have been informed, does look extremely silly. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't do it too many times because you wind up getting really hung up on small errors. And these are rough demos, so obviously there's going to be mistakes in them. Yeah. But the instinct every time is to try and fix it as a conductor. And you you know that tricky bit of piano is coming, so you really stare at the saucepan (laughs) and you really clearly give them their in and they mess it up again. (laughs) The sofa's still playing too quietly. And the geraniums are still flat. (laughs) (sighs) So yeah, the quicker you can get to Imaginationville, the better. But somehow, it's almost the silent version that seems more amusing to me. (laughs) A bit like the music videos without music. The kind of gentle swishing of a baton and <laughs> heavy breathing, and that's about yeah, it. Pretty much. Creaking of shoe leather. <laughs> pretty much, and then occasionally some dramatic arm waving, and then very small arm waving. Ah, oh, I honestly am feeling just this sense of warm calm come over me, even just describing doing this prep. I love it. This is why this ties in quite nicely. There's synchronicity going on here, because you were talking about checklists, mm. and part of the process of doing my session planning is building up the checklist mm. that says, like, what each box contains so that I can check it into the car, check it at the venue, check it out of the venue, check it back into the car kind of thing so that I know everything that's mine and and that it's all there. That does sound like a very, very pleasant part of it. Mm. I've never done that for my own equipment, but I had one show that was doing some touring in vans And again, this is a delegation and specific roles. And Mm. the assistant stage manager, 
bless their heart, had color-coded every single instrument case for each different musician. Wow. Oh, my God. Each case had two numbers. One, the number of the five of John's cases. Oh, right. Which one this was. But also, of all the, I don't know, 150 of boxes. Yes. Which one this was. And exactly as you say, Mr. Clipboard checked in each box into the van, each box out of the van. (laughs) It's a facepalm for another time. But I once didn't think... I knew they were organising like this, like this, and I just took my ukulele back to the hotel to do some practice. Oh. I have probably not been in that much trouble (laughs) since. (laughs) And, you know, totally reasonable trouble because a lot of serious professionals had to stay up and pull the theatre apart to try and find this damn ukulele. Yes, and there was no saying... If this were not a paradox with ukuleles, that it might not have been an expensive ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us once again to the uh, tragic but oft-foretold end of our programme. Time only to thank our extremely generous sponsor this week. Now, EQ is fiddly. Mm. Doesn't matter if you're new to the game, there's just... So much to think about, and especially with the technology today, which, with the best intentions, just has so many little things for you to worry about. You know, Mm. your mids, your lows, your cues, your ups, your downs, your multibands. Now, the broadband master EQ module is going to do away with that. I'm liking it. At last, here we've got a straightforward way to get exactly what you want. The broadband master EQ module does this so simply Hmm. by affecting the gains of the lows, the low mids, the mids, the high mids, and the highs all in one go. Wow. The user interface, Mike, it's a single slider. It's a single slider up and down, and it'll just move everything from 0 dB up to 90,000 dB. Wow. Or down as many decibels as you like. Yeah. If you want to do a broadband kind of nothing pass, they call it a nothing pass, Mm. down to minus infinity dB, Mm. you can do that. And honestly, that will fix a lot of the problems that (laughs) early or even career producers are hearing in their tracks. I can see the mix applications straight away. Equally mastering expensive and mysterious black box not anymore just use the special plus 2db position on the slider Mm. and get that great crisp mastering sound you've been looking for so much more detail that instantly better that instantly (laughs) better sound wow seriously just run an a b contrast with and without the broadband master eq module i did i was amazed Everything sounded better. It was like more of everything. More of everything. Yeah, it was like all my ideas, but more. And again, if that gives you trouble, if more of your ideas isn't cutting it, try the minus infinity. Wow, what a contrast. And in a way, it is the only true equaliser because it is equal. <laughs> it, it, I know. Have you seen some of these quote-unquote equaliser plots that the quote-unquote pros are working with? There's bumps, there's troughs, there's... Sw- Anything but equal. The broadband master EQ module... I'm going to say it's the first honest equaliser out there. Truly transparent. So reach out to them, not for us, but for yourself, for your music. (laughs) You'll be very, very glad that you did. If you would like to support this proudly independent podcast, do head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash projectstudioteabreak. Where, oh, we have so many extras, John. So very many. They're coming out twice a week. We have a discussion of negative harmony and trading Mozart for puns. We have (laughs) follow-up of previous episodes. There's more on the shags and more on Marcus Bueller. Oh, the shags. They've been like a mainstay of my Spotify listening for the last month or so. Like, (laughs) really? 
Really? You get to hear my own special demon voice? It really is horrifying. And there's a hundred years of little Lord, Fa- little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> what? One more time on that? <laughs> and there's a hundred years of little Lord Fauntleroy. There we go. I mean, I... I knew the one. I just love hearing you say it. <laughs> if you want to tweet us, you can at twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. If you want to find us on Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. Anything to plug this uh, <laughs> since we recorded last week, Mike? <laughs> Well, as I said, I will be travelling around uh, UK, kind of southeast of the UK, mm. at the beginning of the month, between about the 6th and the 14th. So if anyone fancies a real live tea break, and they're in that kind of area, then just pop me an email on teabreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. Amazing! If I'm talking to any cool theatre uh, investors who want to drop a couple of grand on a queer punk cabaret based on a 4,000-year-old Iranian myth, then hell, definitely drop me a line. Otherwise, everyone else can take a month off <laughs> gorgeous in that case thank you for listening uh loads of love to you and yours and until next time ta-ra ta-ra pets ta-ra.